Guys, what's happening? Welcome back to the show. It's been a little bit since I have gotten on the podcast platform and I've welcomed a guest in. You guys know that I've been dealing with a little bit of a detox from social media, from content creation as a whole. I just felt like I was pouring from an empty cup and I've always said to you guys that at no point ever will I show up in an inauthentic way and I feel like I got some juice back and I've got a guest who came by the way of a former guest Kent Youngstrom and a great artist here in the city of Charlotte who sent me a text after one of our Lululemon events that we uh, hosted a speak in and he said hey I've got an individual for you that's a rock star she's based out of Portland and I know you used to live in Vancouver British Columbia she's a rock star author she's got really cool things going on and she speaks to the message of resilience and so on and so forth. So with that being said, I've got Alexandra Friends in here. She's, uh, she's been accredited on Time and Forbes, Newsweek, Huffington Post, list goes on. She's got other projects, novels and books called 50 Ways to Say You're Awesome. Our Q&A a Day, which is a novel, it's more of a collection of questions that you can uh, host with your romantic partner to see each day, um, you know, how your answers can evolve over a three-year journey. Really cool book, really awesome um, kind of idea there. And a novel also called This is the End. But what she's got going right now, and which is why I'm so juiced to get her on the show, is that she's debuting a book in December called You're Going to Survive, which is all about the message of resilience, which guys, as you know, creating space, it's all about perseverance, pulling through, getting back in touch with who you are and pushing forward. So let me take a breath because Alexandra, you needed that welcome. Yo, what's happening? Welcome to Creating Space. Thank you so much. I love your your ebullient energy, and that was such an awesome introduction. Thank hey, you. great word, ebullient. I gotta like Dang. look that one up in my dictionary really quickly, and then go through the thesaurus and see what other words I might not know. Um, I'm super juicy to get you in because we we did our discovery call and we and we jumped around for a little bit, and you were talking to me about a number of different things, but you were also saying that a year ago you decided to take us some time away from social media. You decided to stop it all together. And I can't wait to get there, but I cannot start this podcast without the best question of all, which is, Alexandra, what are you grateful for today? Such a great question. And the first thing that comes to my mind is my health and having a body that at this point in time is really just functioning well uh, a couple of years ago, I had a pretty bad bouldering accident where I fell off of a rock climbing wall and I broke my leg. And it was it was actually Kent, your our mutual friend, was one of the first people to email me after that accident and give me some words of encouragement and advice. And uh, that experience was obviously very physically painful and and draining, but it has given me such an appreciation for just the simple act of walking, jogging, yoga, you know, all of the things that I used to take for granted. And um, yeah, that's the first thing that comes to mind is legs that work, a body that's functioning. So grateful for that. 
That's amazing. I'm just about to come up on actually in a couple of, in a week or so, I will come up on the third year anniversary of my big knee surgery, which was an ACL surgery that came into a microfracture technique with just, it's just a lot of big words that mean a big time surgery. And it subsequently shifted my career as a professional athlete. Didn't end it, but it shifted it. So I know exactly what you mean when you say you have something so valuable and something that you take for granted every day, taken away, and then what that feels like to regain health and have a newfound appreciation for your body. So amazing stuff. The leg is moving well, or like, are you back bouldering? Are you on the side of the, the, the leg is now? all good. Yeah, cool. I, I still have a, a big metal plate uh, attached to my fibula that, that might be there for the rest of my life or it might come out at some point. Sure. But I mean, pretty much all back to normal. I, I have a, a little funny feeling sometimes if I run long distance. So I've kind of uh, taken that out of my routine because it just doesn't feel good. But yeah. overall, I was very lucky and I had an amazing healing team. So yeah. All you good. said that was just over a year ago that that happened? So that was, I want to say it's about two years at this point. Okay. It's been okay. a while. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So um, let's, let's start there. All right. So you're, you're taking, your, your mobility is taken away, probably leading a bit of a sedentary lifestyle at that moment as you're being forced to slow down. Life is, the universe is saying, hey, you know, you've got to, to endure this. You're just out of surgery. You can't move. You're being waited on probably by friends and family. What's going through your head? Like, what? take me back to that moment. What's that like? Yeah. You know, I, I went through many waves of emotion, as I'm sure you can probably relate to. The first phase for me was I was just so angry at myself. I felt... Um, my, my life at that point was on such a great trajectory. I had so many cool projects going on. Physically, I felt stronger than I ever had in my life. Things were just kind of on this beautiful upward climb. And then I felt like, why did I, like, how did I let this happen? It just felt like such a setback. And I was so annoyed at myself for falling, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I, mad at myself. So that was kind of the first phase. Fortunately, I didn't say stuck in that place for too long, but I mean, definitely for, for a couple of days, I was just like, why, 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 why did I do this? Uh, especially because the day that we went climbing, it was actually, I think, the five-year anniversary of me becoming self-employed. So it was sort of like a celebratory day. Right. And uh, it, was, it was the end of the, of the day. We had, we had climbed a bunch of walls. It was really fun. And of course, I said, one more wall. <laughs> and it was, it was that it was that last one that, that I fell off of. And so, of course, I felt, you know, extra annoyed at myself. Why? You know, why did I do this? Then, uh, then after that, I felt, I felt pretty sad, you know, for all the reasons that you mentioned. I, uh, I was like bummed out that I couldn't keep up with my fitness routine. I had to take a couple of weeks off work because my head was just kind of so cloudy and foggy from pain medication after the surgery and I just didn't feel at my best. Uh, I felt really isolated. I, I live on the second story of a building with no elevator. And for a while, I couldn't even get up and down the stairs without supervision. So I felt sort of locked in my tower, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. So that, was, that was a bummer. Um, but then, you know, as so often happens in these experiences, I, I started to feel the unexpected uh, 
beauty, you know, the unexpected beauty and gifts that this brought to me. One of the gifts that it brought was, you know, some, some of my true friends really showed up for me in a beautiful way and, you know, came over with food or just to hang out so I wouldn't feel so lonely or came to check on me, you know, when I was just here in the daytime. And I also had a lot of time <laughs> to yeah. slow down and really reflect on my life, my career, what's important to me, you know, these I think my mom said to me around this time, this is really going to force you to slow down and maybe that's a good thing. And in the end, it really was. And it, it led to some realizations around, you know, clients that I didn't want to work with anymore and changes I needed to make and just kind of a, a reshuffling of priorities. So in the end, it was for sure a blessing, albeit a very painful, annoying one. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, but this is juicy. What a, what a great topic because we start this off by getting straight into the aspect of creating space, like where you've got to really get above your life and say, all right, what works here? So a lot of times when we do this, there's the, the angst of letting go of the life that you have before. There's that trouble of, of taking, because we grasp and cling to ideas or identities or trajectories or so on and so forth. And then the table kind of shifts and things start to come up, right? Can you, can you share with us some of the things that started to come up first? Maybe some stories that you were telling yourself from childhood or, you know, some examples of things that started to come to the surface that you had to deal with that might've been transformational um, in that period. Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the really big realizations in that period that I still think about today was uh, after the accident when and after the surgery when I, my leg was in a, you know, a cast and I was lying on the couch with my leg elevated and everything, um, I really felt one of the first things that, that I was so frustrated about was, oh, well, I, I can't work out for months. I'm just going to be a total slug and be sedentary and, and that's going to affect my mental health and that's going to suck. Right. Uh, but that, that was what I thought. But then I actually had a friend come over who happens to be a personal trainer and who has a lot of experience working with people who are injured. And he basically just said to me, like, you know, look, yeah, you're going to want to take it easy for a couple of weeks because you just had surgery, but there's no reason why you have to just be sedentary. You know, we can find a way for you to keep moving and to feel positive and happy and, you know, get all the benefits of exercise that you love. And that had really not even occurred to me. I was like, really? You know, there's a way we can do that. And sure enough, he was able to design a routine for me where we came up with all kinds of creative things I could do, hopping on one leg, rowing on a rowing machine with one leg, uh, you know, just all kinds of things. And it was beyond the fact that like, oh, cool, I can get back in the gym. The, the bigger realization was, you know, there's always a way, there's always a way forward. And there's always a creative, resourceful way that you can take your current predicament and, and make something work. You know, we don't have to accept that, oh, it's just all over now because that's not necessarily true. So that was a great realization of that so experience. I have an idea that this is a lot of what you're going to survive is probably about. Um, excited to kind of get down to this aspect of it. Um, you're moving, you're trying to get yourself back mobile, but um, how did this affect your your job, your creativity as an author? Like before we get back to when all that began, like how in this time in your life, in this phase of your life, did that, did that block or did that um, kind of fixed mindset or lack of hope for a moment, did that affect your creativity and affect the way that you wrote? 
For sure. Yeah, there were there were definitely a couple weeks where you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, you felt like uh, your, your cup was empty, like you needed to take a break to refill to get those creative juices going again. And I for sure felt like that. There were a couple weeks where I, I mean, I'm a person who writes almost every single day. And I just felt like I had nothing to say. You know, I, I needed to just totally close my laptop, check out, you know, and focus on healing for a while. So that was a big change for me. Uh, and I felt a little worried too. I kind of thought, is this just how it is now? You know, I have nothing to say, even though I think I knew that wasn't really true, but there, that fear did cross my mind. And then as I began, you know, kind of the reshuffling of priorities that I talked about, one thing that I definitely realized is, you know, life is very brief and and life is very fleeting and surprising things happen good and bad and i mean not to be too dramatic but you know it could have been my neck that i broke when i fell not just my leg and i really started thinking about you know what is it that i really want to contribute to the world because this could all be over you know in a flash and i don't sure. want to waste time and a realization I came to uh, is that I, I want to write more books. I love writing books. And, and when I write a book, um, that is for me like the equivalent of, you know, running a marathon or competing in the Olympics. Like it gives me such a sense of joy and pride and satisfaction. And I want more of that. You know, I don't want that to be an afterthought in my career. So I really made that a priority. And since that accident, I actually never really connected these dots before, but um, I released a new novel. I got, I found a new publisher. I got a new book deal for two books, actually. And uh, I've also helped clients to create about five or six or maybe seven books since then. So yeah, I really took that intention and kind of grabbed it. And that was, I'm so glad I did, because I think if I were to go through my entire career and, and not do that, I would feel pretty disappointed at the end of my life. That's amazing. A way to really grasp um, a, a, a scenario and an experience, take it, siphon what you need from it, and then use that energy to carry you forward. Now, let's step back for a second. With that knowledge, what's the mission? What's the vision? Like You're creating these books. They've got a similar kind of narrative to them, kind of, but like, where are we headed? What's the orientation? Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, I wish I had a perfect answer to that question. Yeah. I, I will say that the, the big themes that I, I feel drawn to right now, both with writing fiction and nonfiction, are themes of resilience, themes of overcoming adversity of all kinds, and also the big questions in life, like if you had 24 hours to live, what would you do at that time? Or if you met the love of your life on the last day of your life, what would you do with that person? And kind of questions around, I mean, really just how brief life is and, and what you want to do with the time that you're given. These are the themes that seem to keep coming up in my writing. And, uh, you know, my hope, of course, is that if someone reads an essay, an article, a book, whatever that I've written, that they're really left thinking about these big questions and maybe even changing some habits and behavior as a result. So talk to me a little bit. Let's distill that. Um, some people are not downloaded by their parents or their, um, their educational systems of how to deal with adversity. Some people are shielded from adversity as, a ch as, as you know, children and, and whatnot. What are the key 
or fundamental properties or values of someone that uh, is resilient in life? What, what, what would you say those are? This is such a great question. And, and I have to say, shout out to my parents because my parents are both very resilient people and they really modeled and led by example. So I was one of the lucky ones who grew up with parents who really paved the way. And I, I realize that's not the case. Unfortunately, many people have to sort of become their own parents right, right. <laughs> and themselves those lessons. But for example, I remember my mom um, <laughs> growing up, she would constantly say to us kids when we were stuck, you can figure it out. Like she would just say over and over, almost like a mantra, figure it out, figure it out. And she really instilled in us this belief that, you know, you can be resourceful and you can be a creative problem solver. And if mom's not willing to solve the problem for you, <laughs> you know, you can figure it out. So that was a wonderful lesson that she gave to us. Um, my mom and dad both also were artists and entrepreneurs. So they led the way. And my mom, for example, even though she had three kids, she pursued her dream of being an opera singer. And she did it. And she worked as a classical opera singer for about 20 years. So she showed to me that, you know, even when the world says your dream is unrealistic or there's no way you can possibly do this or what are you doing? You have three kids. You can't be traveling the world as an opera singer. Right. She kind of defied everyone and prove them wrong. And I think that's a really, that's a, a, a definite sign of a resilient person is the willingness to kind of hear all these negative voices coming at you and say, actually, no, <laughs> you know, sure. I'm going to do thing and, and I believe in myself. So what was it like as a, as a young child watching your mother perform and go through this form of artistry and, and how empowering was that for you as a young as a young child as a young female yeah well it's interesting because when I was really really little I remember um, you know when I was so young that I didn't really even understand what a job was or, or what it was that she did all day I do remember feeling a little sad because she was not a typical mom. You know, she didn't really do carpool every day. She didn't do the bake sales. She wasn't that kind of mom. And I kind of wished she was until I was about eight or nine years old. And that was when for the first time she actually brought me to her job. You know, she brought me to the opera house, to the theater where they were rehearsing. And I got to hang out backstage and see her on stage and hang out with the costumers and everything. And and that was the first time when I, I think it sort of clicked in my little kid brain, wow, like my mom is not like all the other moms and my mom is, is really following her, her, her dream. And, you know, I don't know if those thoughts formulated in my little eight-year-old brain, but that was a shift for me. And that's when I started seeing her in a new light. And the older I got, the more and more and more I appreciated her courage and the more I, I viewed her as an incredible role model in the world. And, and I actually wrote her a letter when I got a lot older, like in my 20s or maybe early 30s, where I basically said, you know, thank you for not doing carpool every day. And thank you for not doing the bake sales, because I know that's not who you are. And you paved such a different path for me that now I can follow in and I appreciate it. So that's thanks for being a weird mom. <laughs> yeah. that, that's that's incredibly um, inspiring to hear uh, you know it, it your, your face lights up when you talk about your family um, walk me through some of the more fond memories you have 
from your childhood with your with your with your family and maybe correlate to how that has um streamlined into your life now how you carry those those moments with you and and maybe how you um allow those teachings or those lessons or those moments to 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 come out in your creative expression yeah okay fond moments well probably one of the biggest things that i it's another story about my mom actually my dad's amazing too but (laughs) for some reason i'm talking about my mom right now um so my mom after she uh performed as a singer for about 20 years she went through a transition in her career she took a step back from performing she didn't want to be on the road all the time and and all that and she began a new chapter and really what ended up happening kind of serendipitously and almost accidentally is that she started working for a college in California and the president of the college uh, had recently, they basically purchased a piece of land that was an old elementary school that had been destroyed in an earthquake. And the president of the college went to this piece of land with my mom and said to her, you know, if you could do anything with this empty lot, what would you build here? What would you do? And my mom just totally on gut instinct said, I would build a theater. I would build a performing arts center. You know, this area of town doesn't have one and we need one. And the president of the college said, great, you do it. <laughs> like raise the money and, and build it. And my mom had never done anything like this before. She'd never managed a project like that. She'd never raised money. Um, you know, she had no experience in construction or architecture, or any of those things, but that mantra that she gave to us as kids, figure it out, uh, became her mantra too. And she did it. And it was, a, I think, a 17-year project in total. So I really grew up watching her complete this monumental legacy project. I watched her raise, you know, millions of dollars and I watched her oversee all of it. And, and I watched her step into the finished theater on opening day and that was for me to see her see it through to the end and complete something so massive was i mean it it has affected me in ways that i can't even really describe but it's something i will carry with me forever so with that being said what do you know to be true about limiting beliefs i mean yeah. Are there any boundaries? Are, like, are there any boundaries? Do, is I mean, obviously, physical boundaries, yes. But when it comes to yeah. the human capacity to create and to connect, it's, are there be- I really, boundaries? I don't think so. I think it's limitless. And I think my mom, for whatever reason, she's just one of those people who doesn't see limitations for herself or anyone else. And and even though. I mean, so many people said to her outright, you're not qualified to do this. You've never managed a team like this. What are you doing? Like people were so baffled that she had been given this task and that she was willing to do it. And her attitude was just sort of like, how hard could it be? <laughs> you know, like right. she, just, she, she also was so driven by a, just a genuine and infectious passion for the performing arts and everyone that she talked to about the project I think could see and feel and taste that excitement and I think that's really what moved the project forward you know she really really believed in it there was nothing half-hearted about it for her 
yeah, when you when you step into that like vortex of energy, it, it almost just continues to pull you along and the things that you can create and the people that want to get behind you on the idea, like you said, they they're infected by the way that, that you feel. Do you feel that way um, when you write? I do. Yeah. I I definitely have like, you know, some days are better than others and there are certainly days where I stare at the blank screen and it's just like nothing is working. But when I hear a story or when I experience something that kind of lights me up from the inside and makes me go, oh my gosh, this is such a good message or it's such a good story or, you know, I know people need to hear this. Um, those are the days where I feel like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm on my path, I'm on my track and this is what I'm supposed to do, hopefully. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So let's, let's talk a little bit about some of the things that you've created. What to this point let's exclude your newest book, You're Going to Survive. Let's exclude that. What is your favorite uh, piece, be it something in Forbes or Newsweek or even any of your novels? What is something mm. that if someone were to say, you, you, there's a fire going on in your house and you can save one novel, one piece of literature, like what is that going to be? Oh, man, I would say for sure the last novel that I wrote, which is called So This is the End, uh, the story actually came to me in a dream. I had this, it's kind of a sci-fi-ish novel, and the premise of the novel is that there's a new medical procedure that can resuscitate you back to life. So if you've died, they can bring you back, but the effects only last for 24 hours. So you have exactly 24 hours, like kind of like a bonus round to, you know, call your mom, say I love you, make amends, update your will, you know, check things off your bucket list, whatever you want to do in those final 24 hours of life. But then when it's up, it's over for real. There's no coming back again. And I had this dream at night while I was sleeping where I had had this procedure done to me and I remember the whole dream was this sense of incredible sadness but also feeling so like awake and also this sense of just the the agony of every minute passing and knowing this is it this is it this is really the end and all I wanted to do in that dream was was be with my sweetheart Brandon and just be with him and be in love and and cherish that time together while we had it and I woke up from that dream and my heart was pounding I mean it was so intense and emotional like almost like a movie that I had been watching and I don't usually remember my dreams when I wake up so it was very it was definitely a moment where I was like, whoa, <laughs> yeah. that's, that, that's a story that I need to capture somehow. And that eventually uh, turned into a novel, which is, I think, probably my favorite thing I've ever created. It was very different. I'd never really written anything in that genre before, but it just kind of poured out and it was so much fun. When you, say, when you say poured out, do you feel like, you know, your hand was guided and it, there were times where you just came out of the flow state and you're like, wow, how did, how am I 10, 15 pages in to this? Is, is, walk us through that experience because I experience one thing well, and that is writer's block. Can yeah. <laughs> to in, I can speak in front of people and I'll get a little bit of angst in that, um, but I'm really comfortable in that environment. You put me with a white sheet of paper, a white computer screen, and 
it you know might as well be uh, checked out and and be asked to to do something uh, ridiculously tough. How, what is it like for you um, when when you get handed these moments? To how do you generate that flow state? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's a beautiful thing when it happens. It certainly doesn't happen every day. Um, but this this project was one of those moments when I where I felt almost like I was just downloading something that was kind of coming through and out of me. And I think it's really important when we feel that kind of inspiration, which is rare and special, to do everything in our power to clear the space, which is perfect for this podcast. Yeah. But I mean, you you have to clear the space. You have to grab your notebook. You have to write down the idea as it's flowing out of you. You know, don't say to yourself, oh, I'll remember it later. You won't remember it later, right? right. So you want to capture the idea as it's coming, either by writing it down or by recording a voice note on your phone. Um, you know, when you feel that download happening, capture it in that moment. I was really fortunate in that after I had this dream, uh, it just so happened that I was able to sort of reorganize my schedule a little bit so that I would I could clear a couple of days, get some client stuff off my plate, go to the local coffee shop and just work on it and just outline it and write it and kind of get the bones of the book down on paper. And I was able to get, the way I structured the book is that it has 24 chapters. So each chapter is like one hour in this 24 hour story. And I was able to get, I remember the first 18 or 19 hours chapters done, I mean, really just in a matter of days. It happened really quickly, but it only could have happened if I had totally cleared my schedule. So that was really important. Um, Then I kind of let it sit for a while. I struggled with the ending for a bit and I kind of didn't work on it for a few months actually. But then when I picked it up again, it was a similar feeling. I had sort of figured out how I wanted the ending to go and it was a similar download experience. Um, there's a wonderful quote, the, the dancer and choreographer Martha Graham uh, says something about, I wish I could remember the exact quote, but it's around how, you know, we're all just kind of these vessels and ideas flow through us. And it, whether you're an athlete or an artist or an entrepreneur or a mom or a dad or whatever you are, your job is just to keep the channels clear so that things can flow through you. So that means getting enough sleep and eating well and moving your body and having a positive mindset and just kind of keeping your channels clear to the best of your abilities so that you can get into that magical flow state when it's time. So talk to me about keeping your channels clear. Like how often should we be clearing? How, how, like, how, are you, how often are you clearing? How often do you think people should be clearing? Are there certain tactics that you have that work for you to clear? Um, let's start there. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, you mentioned before we started recording that you went to a yoga class today because you were feeling a little frazzled. It had been a busy day and you wanted to like reset and clear the channel before we started recording. So I think we all just have to find our own techniques. You know, we all have different things that work for us. I'm a yoga person too. I've practiced yoga for over 15 years uh, and uh, I'm still not very good at it, (laughs) but it's, uh, but, but it definitely is a way for me to, to kind of quiet the noise in my mind and come back into my body, which is really important for me. Um, other things that I love to do, sleep is super important. If I haven't had enough sleep, I mean, forget about it. It's not going to be a good day, (laughs) 
for me, um, I think that getting away from my computer is a way to clear the channel for sure. And, and minimizing, uh, you know, the constant contact with technology is a beautiful way to reset my brain. Um, another is, although I don't do it as much as I would like is being in nature. My boyfriend is usually the one who drags me out for a hike or to go camping. And it's tough sometimes to make the time and to, you know, say, okay, we're, we're going hiking for three days or whatever, but I'm always grateful when we do. And it always leads to just amazing ideas that kind of come out of the clear blue sky. So those are some things that work for me. I love that. So great tactics there, especially to, to get away uh, from the computer screen, to shut that down. Before we get into the decisions that you've made uh, to, to do that in a, in a more macro view, you mentioned this aspect of the 18, first 18 pages coming so easily and just flowing out of you, stream of consciousness-like. And then the last bit, um, if my math is good, the last six chapters, I think, are, uh, are, are, are a struggle for a bit. And a lot of people struggle to let go of projects when they're just not coming easily and they force themselves through this painful process of trying to, to force something just to get it finished, push it through. Whereas you decided to take a step back, to drop it, to reshape your focus, uh, reorient yourself. What are the keys in your mind to be able to take a project that you're excited about, but you know you don't have the ability to finish? And how are you, how are you so mindful to be able to set it down, move it out of the way, shift your focus, and come, know that you'll come back to it? Mm, that's a really good question. You know, I don't know that there's just one answer to this either because I think every every project kind of has its own personality. So there are times when a project feels challenging and you're feeling some resistance and you're like wanting to avoid it because it feels hard, but maybe you shouldn't avoid it. Maybe you shouldn't put it down. Maybe you should just kind of push through to the finish line and, and get through that mental resistance and just do it. But then there are other projects where maybe you're feeling stuck, not because it's emotional resistance, but because you just don't know how you want the book to end yet, right. or you, you just need to ruminate on it a little bit. And, and that, that feels, I think, emotionally different you know, than the resistance or avoidance or procrastination. So I think it's a matter of just, you know, if, if you're feeling stalled or stuck with a project for, for whatever reason, to maybe take some time, maybe take a walk, maybe take a yoga class and try to be honest with yourself about what is it that's creating this, this, this stalled feeling? You know, is it that you're feeling scared? Is it that you're nervous that if you, print, if you finish the project, that means you have to actually put it into the world and that feels terrifying because you're yeah. opening yourself up to criticism and rejection and all these things? You know, is it something emotional of that nature or is it just that you're tired and you need a rest and that's totally fine? Or is it that, you know, you need to figure out the ending before you proceed? Or is it that maybe you don't want to finish this project? Maybe it has sort of run its course and you're already ready to move on to something else. And that's okay too. You know, I don't think every project needs to be finished necessarily. Um, it's okay to just move on sometimes. Sure. But again, I think we have to be honest with ourselves about, what's really going on here? And a good question might be, 
you know, if you project out a year, five years, 10 years in the future, if you don't finish this project, will you be disappointed? If you do finish this project, will you be so proud of yourself and so happy you did? And, and try to think about how future you <laughs> might feel about this endeavor. Great questions. Um, just taking a step back, looking, being able to metaphysically put yourself in the future and, and look a little bit beyond your, the context of where you are at this moment. Are you doing that to yourself in any capacity right now in your life? Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's hear it. I, I am. Um, you know, a, a, a continual kind of struggle isn't really the right word, but I would say like a, a tension in my life is finding a balance between the, the work that I do that, you know, makes, that makes money, basically, that is my, my consistent income, my livelihood, and then the work that feels like, you know, the art projects that I want to bring forth. And, and sometimes they're one and the same, and sometimes they're not. So to give you an example, um, I do a lot of work with clients, which I really love. Clients hire me to do writing work, to do editing work, to help, you know, kind of envision and produce all kinds of projects. That's how I make most of my income, and I really love it. However, I need to be careful that that doesn't become 100% of my week. You know, I, I need to have 50% of my week or at least 30% of my week set aside just for me, just for my own creative projects, my own art projects, whether or not they generate an income or not. Uh, that's really important to me to have that balance. And it's not something I'm very good at. It's something sure. I'm still struggling with all the time, you know, because it's very easy to let the client work just kind of encroach, you know, and, sure. and take up all of my week. So yeah, I, I have to really be almost like stern with myself and think about future me, you know, and think about yeah. in, in five years, in 10 years, in 20 years, when I look back at all the projects I've done, you know, I will, I know I will be heartbroken if I don't make the space now for the books and other personal projects that I want to create, you know, and it's clients are, are dope. Clients are great. You know, I, sure. I'm grateful to have that kind of work, but I, I can't let that be all that I do that right. I have to face for the other stuff too. So talk to me. It seems like you have no issue really orientating yourself with a bigger, a bigger direction where I want to go, what I want um, my life to look like. I'm reverse engineering that process. And do you think that may be the key. That might be the key to resilience is knowing that this is where I want to go and I'm connected to this belief. And although I might encounter some trials, some tribulations, some learning uh, moments, teaching moments, but because I'm headed towards something bigger and it's in the future and I'm manifesting it, that is why I, that is why I still rise. You know, I, that is such a beautiful way of thinking about resilience. I've never really thought of it in those terms, but, but yeah, you know, I think if you are really connected to the, fu the, the future you <laughs> and sure. what future you wants to have, you know, to experience or to have created, um, if you can really stay connected to that, then yeah, I think that vision will get you through, you know, the ups and downs of daily life on the road to getting there. So 
hundred percent. I'm I'm of this. You know, manifestation is 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 a is a truth in my life. I believe it to be true. I think that even when I was a child, I had no white space on my walls for all types of professional athlete posters that were all over my room. Um, I was speaking as though I was going to be a pro athlete when I was a kid. I'm sure I was the most arrogant kid in the room. Um, but it was just every thought that permeated my skin was moving in the direction of this macro vision. And it, when I got injured or things happened, it was almost as if that's okay. That's in a moment. I'm still going this direction. I'm still going this way. So when I look back at it now, it's this burning desire to, to finish to accomplish, to access whatever it is that you, you've got your heart set on. Um, that's what pulls me through. And manifestation is huge in my life. Speaking things to existence, having the bravery and the courage to take what you have in your mind and actually speak it into existence. Is that something that you're actively practicing in your life, in your lifestyle? I need to do more of it. I think I'm, I'm like... <laughs> Feeding off of your awesome energy right now. Yeah, I, uh, I definitely believe that language is incredibly powerful. The words that we say to ourselves and the words that we say to others uh, really do shape our reality for sure. Um, it's interesting. I, I've I'd kind of forgotten about this, but many, many years ago, I did a little survey where I sent an email to all the folks who get my newsletter each week. Um, I, was, I was asking them about their writing habits and about their fitness habits. I'm really passionate about writing and fitness, so I was just kind of curious. And I asked people questions like, you know, do you write as often as you would like? Or is it something that you procrastinate on? Do you work out as regularly as you would like? Or is it something that you struggle with? And I just kind of asked them to respond. And what I noticed as I got back all the responses, I think about 300 people did the survey. So like, you know, a pretty decent little pool is that the people who wrote consistently and who exercised consistently, there was an interesting language shift that, they, that I noticed, which is that they used the phrase, I am, a lot. They said, I am a writer. I am a poet. I am you know, an entrepreneur who has released whatever number of books or whatever. And they also said, I am an athlete. I am a runner. I am a yogi. They didn't say, I try to go to yoga five times a week. They said, I am a yogi or I practice yoga. So there was an I am way that they described themselves, which seemed to then lead to the, the habits that they wanted to create. And I thought that was really interesting. And it's, it's something that uh, I would like to start doing more of. <laughs> so this is, this is uh, neuro-linguistic programming. So this yeah. is uh, an, an idea of being able to create new neuro-pathways inside of your, your brain that allow your mind to act in accordance with your linguistics. So very, very prominent um, within the personal development space. Tony Robbins uses that at a very high, um, I guess, at scale since he's got such um, a big following. Super, super interesting when you dive into it and, and do some of the tests with it. Anyways, when you talk about uh, things that you have in your life that are filling your cup, things that are taking energy away from your cup, how you're managing that space in between those. Let's talk about, um, and I know I'm pivoting into a whole nother direction, but I want to make sure that we get this within the time allotted, is that this desire to go a separate direction when the world is buying into social media. 
So social media has been the biggest lead generation tool for the podcast. Drives interest, the explore pages on Instagram, the uh, algorithms on Facebook and YouTube has been a, a big reason why a lot of the Creating Space tribe, the listeners here who are so amazing, have been able to find the podcast. You don't get involved in any of it. And that was a conscious decision. Talk to me a yeah. little bit about that. Yeah. So what happened was <laughs> many years ago, like seven, eight years ago, when I decided to, to quit my job and, and try to make it as a self-employed writer, uh, a lovely mentor and coach said to me, well, you got to get on Twitter. You know, Twitter is where you're going to find your readers and your clients and, you know, get on Twitter, start tweeting. <laughs> right. And, uh, and I was like, okay. So I, I created a Twitter account and I started, I started doing it, doing all the tweets. And I discovered pretty quickly that I really liked it. It was really fun. It almost felt like a mini blog where I could, you know, share witty, thoughtful, inspiring, you know, doodly do whatever I want to do all day long. And I was kind of good at it. You know, pretty quickly I, I had about, I mean, I don't know, maybe 11, 12,000 followers in a pretty short span of time. And, and I noticed though that as the years went along, I think I did Twitter for maybe three years or something like that is that it felt like it was just taking up more and more and more bandwidth inside my brain. And, you know, I would, I would wake up and I would want to look at my phone and, ooh, you know, who retweeted my tweet? Who liked my tweet? Who did, you know, it was just sort of, it was, it was a lot of noise in my brain. And so I did a little experiment where I just was curious. And I, I, what I did was I looked at Twitter and I was using a lot of other social media platforms at this time too. I was using Pinterest. I think I was using Instagram. I had a variety of things going on. But I looked at Twitter and I saw, you know, okay, in the last year, I tweeted however many times, a thousand times or something like that. And then I estimated, okay, well, how many minutes of my life are being devoted to each tweet? You know, how many minutes to, to think of the witty tweet in my mind and then to type it out and then to edit it and then to post it and then how many minutes to sort of track that tweet, you know, who's retweeted it, who's commented, who's sent me a direct message, whatever, whatever. And I sort of calculated that each tweet represented about 12 minutes of my life, you know, was, was going towards that tweet. And so then I multiplied, you know, the 12 minutes by the number of tweets and then I multiply that by, you know, if I keep tweeting at my current frequency for the next, you know, 60 years of my life, let's, let's say, till I'm uh, 100 years old, what does that mean in terms of the time that's going towards Twitter? And when I crunched all the numbers, what I found was that if I continued on my current path, I was at the end of my life, the grand total was something like three years of my life of just Twitter, like three years to Twitter. No <laughs> and way. Yeah, yeah. And I, I remember looking at my calculator and like doing the numbers again, like that can't possibly be right. There's no way. And doing it again. And, and it was, that's what that, what was, that's true. Like that's what it would have been. And that just did not sit well in my body. You know, I remember feeling kind of nauseated, actually, looking at that number and feeling like, 
my life is is brief <laughs> and precious and you know i certainly hope that i'll get to be 75 years old or 100 years old but who knows anything could happen and you know i i don't think that i want to spend that much time of my life doing social media i just don't i don't think that's why i was born and so i decided to take just a little break you know much like you did earlier this year it sounds like where i you know, I didn't make any final decisions about it. And I, I just said, I'm going to take the summer off and I'm going to take, you know, three months, not use any social media and just see how it feels. And also see if it has a negative impact on my friendships or on my business, because maybe it will and maybe it won't. You know, I, I won't know until I try. So that's what I did. I took the summer off and it was a little weird. I had some like almost withdrawal symptoms at first. Right. <laughs> Maybe too, where I was kind of missing the, that fun feeling that you get when you get all those tweets and likes and comments and all that jazz, the, the dopamine burst mm -hmm. <laughs> of that experience. I missed that. But after a couple of weeks, I didn't really miss it as much. And what I noticed was that I, I really felt like I had more space in my brain. I felt like the metaphor that I use sometimes is it's like, like you have a refrigerator in your kitchen that's like a little busted and it's kind of just going hmm all the time. There's like kind of a low hum coming sure. from it. And then the repair person comes over and they fix it up and suddenly the room is quiet. And you're like, oh, that's what quiet sounds like. I, I forgot. I was so accustomed to the, the drone in the background at all times. And that's really what it felt like for me taking a step away from social media. There's that feeling of more, more space in my brain and in my life. And so it's 100% increased the quality of your life and increased the quality of your creativity, relationships. Would you say that would be the truth? You know, I, I would. And I, I want to be really clear because I, I've gotten some some confused emails about this over the years. Um, I, I think social media is amazing. I think it is truly, like really a miraculous tool that we have. And I think it can be used in so many beautiful ways. So I'm not saying that social media is bad. Uh, if you love social media, if it adds to your life or to your work, you know, by all means, rock it out. You know, it's, it's a great thing. Uh, for me, it did not feel like a great thing. For me, it was feeling almost like a borderline addiction, really. And it wasn't, um, it's just not how I want to spend my time. So yeah, I, I took a summer off. And then at the end of the summer, I decided, you know, I, I think this is going to be a year off. And at the end of that year, I decided, okay, I think I'm going to just stay off. Yeah. And I, I, uh, I don't know how long it's been now at this point, but it's been quite a while. And I, I have not noticed... For me personally, I have not noticed any negative impact on my business. You know, I, I still get plenty of clients. I still have people coming to my retreats and workshops. I, you know, I've still been able to achieve my goals. And, and you know, my goals are fairly modest, all things considered, but I, I've been able to, to get where I want to be. Uh, I, I don't think it's had any kind of negative impact in that way. My my readership on my website remains, you know, consistent. It's all the numbers look good, you know? Awesome. Uh, yeah. And it's, you know, of course the question is like, well, well, maybe I could have more readers if I use social media or maybe sure. I could have, more. and it's like, yeah, maybe, or, or maybe not, you know, who knows? It's sort of like, 
uh, I don't know that there's any way to know for sure one way or another. All I can do is what feels right for me at this stage in my life. Uh, and so that's what I'm doing. And, you know, I'm, I'm definitely a never say never person. It's, it's entirely possible that at some point in the future, I'll be like, I want to do Instagram and, and start right. doing it. But for this, for this chapter of my life, uh, social media is just not a priority. So I've just, t- I've stepped away and, uh, it feels pretty good. Super intelligent decision. You seem at re- really grounded and at peace with that. And, you know, you answered the question that I was going to follow up with. Do you think you would be making more money and a little bit more successful and able to drive more sales to the new book and so on and so forth? But it seems like to me, reverse engineering your life, creating a life that you're happy with and that feels good from a soulful space is what's most important. And uh, as long as you're making decisions from that space, I believe that you're never going to fail. You will always win in the long macro um, journey of life. So with that being said, and I really want to, I know you've had tons of things that you had to do today. I know your time is very valuable. I want to round this thing out with a couple of hot round questions that I'll throw at you. First thing that comes to your mind and maybe a sentence or two as a follow-up as to why and then we'll, we'll, we'll shut this thing down. It's been an amazing podcast. There's been so many different directions. It's so much more than resiliency for you. Um, empowerment comes to mind. Um, groundedness. Uh, it, it, a lot of energies that you kind of exude, which has really, really been special. And I know the Creating Space Tribe has um, 100% picked up on it. So this lightning round, you ready for this? I'm ready, yeah. Okay, <laughs> worst, worst job you ever had in your life? Oh, um, I would say being a waitress at a casino in New Zealand. Whoa, I did not <laughs> see that coming. That was the worst job ever? What? Uh, yeah, it was, um, one of my jobs was actually to go to the smoking area and, and clean the smoking area and clean out the ashtrays and everything. And I'm not a smoker. I actually uh, used to suffer from pretty bad asthma. So that was pretty much a nightmare scenario. (laughs) So follow-up question, what did it teach you? What's the biggest lesson it taught you? You know, I I quit that job after just a couple months and my boss was really an an asshole about it, to be honest. He he was really upset that I was quitting and he told me, you know, you you can't take the heat is what he said. (laughs) Right. Uh, But what it taught me is, you know, you don't have to put up with nonsense in your life. You know, if something's really not working, if it's making you sick, you can step away and, you know, people might be annoyed and you might ruffle some feathers, but you've got to take care of yourself first and foremost. So that's what it taught me. So good. Um, Talking about taking care of yourself when you fall down in life, uh, what is the quote that you most often use to help you rise when you fall? Today is not over yet. There's always time to turn it around. (laughs) Today is not over yet. I really like that one. Uh, My old man used to say to me, my old man was big on resilience, a huge on ambition and perseverance. His was, if you get knocked down seven times, stand up eight, or not the size of the dog in the fight, it's the size of the fight in the dog. You know, I like, that was, those were just really kind of fused into my mindset from a very, very early age. So I love that one. Um, Next question. Uh, Best place you've been on the face of the earth? City, place inside of a city, like where is your happiest memory from a place on earth? 
I love Hawaii, especially this little town called Hilo on the Big Island of Hawaii. It has such a sweet, special quality. It's not very touristy. It's just kind of like laid back. And when I'm there, I think I'm just the happiest that I've ever been in my life. I feel so good. So everyone go visit that town. (laughs) Love it. Love it. Love it. Um, Last time I was in Hawaii, I was two weeks off of that surgery from my knee and I was on crutches and my mindset was slipping quickly. So I need to get back to Hawaii to reset the way I feel about, you know, Hawaii in that moment. Last question. Um, What is it you know to be true about life? It's over too quickly. So we've got to, we've just got to do what we want to do now. Tomorrow's never guaranteed. It is over too quickly. We just got to do what we want to do now. It's beautiful. I think it sums up the the entire podcast um, in a roundabout way. It's a great way to kind of um, to, to close this thing down. I will say, super excited about the new book. I'm also equally excited about our Q&A a day, which would be awesome to kind of look at. Um, as anyone in the Creating Space Tribe wants to, if you're embarking on a new relationship, to kind of go through that, or maybe if you want to draw a line in the sand with a current relationship. But the new book, where can we find it? How can we engage with it? When exactly in December is it coming out? Before we leave, uh, tell the audience where they can find you. Yeah, thank you. The book is called You're Going to Survive. It's available December 15th, 1-5. So it's a Sagittarius. <laughs> and it. it'll you can pre-order it online, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, IndieBound, all the usual places. And then it'll be in bookstores in the United States. Uh, I don't think internationally as of December 15th. It's got a bright orange cover. You can spot it across the room. <laughs> I hope you enjoy it. And I, uh, you've, you've given me those links. So I'll incorporate guys, I'll incorporate those links into the show notes. So in your mobile device, or if you're on a desktop here, if you just check down into the show notes, you'll be able to find some links, uh, to get on, uh, into her mailing list. You can find her website. You can find the book, the links on Amazon and so on and so forth. Alexandra, it's been my pleasure. Kent Youngstrom, super grateful to you, my man, if you're listening to this. What a great individual you are for literally passing me the ball um, with Alexandra. And Alexandra, I hope to be able to keep up with you and watch you continue to grow and uh, support you any way we can, okay? Thank you so much. This was so fun. Great questions. And your your positive energy is just rippling off the screen and into my ears. <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> Well, it's been a while since I've been in this booth and I felt tired and I didn't feel like I had any juice. And tonight I had a, I had an epiphany when I was in Shavasana. Um, the epiphany told me I needed to create more video content and less, ah. um, and, and, and maybe a little bit less audio stuff. I don't know how I feel about it. I, that's going to pull me a little bit deeper into social, which is what I'm trying to get away from. So I'm going to use, you use the word ruminate earlier. I'm going to ruminate on that. I'm going to see what comes yeah. up. But this conversation has been a, uh, it has been a breath of a 100% oxygen. And I appreciate you coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it so much.